We are here today, and we're going through a series called Living a Legacy of Love. And uh, if you were here last week, uh, we gave you a, an assignment. Uh, we learned it together, but we're going to see if you really learned it uh, uh, today. We're going to see how good your memory was. It was 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14. And uh, it was a memory verse. And uh, let's see if you can remember. It's, uh, I, and I'll start us off with the first word. Do in love. Oh, man, very good. You guys were better than, uh, than the first service. Okay, we, we had one. Okay, so. Uh, but anyways, uh, do everything in love. Okay, where, where's the address? Where is it found? Uh, what, 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 what book? What chapter? What verse? 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, it says what? Do everything in love. So the, the, the meaning behind the Greek word everything means? <laughs> oh, you guys are so sharp. Anyways, uh, anyways, uh, that's good. So listen, if you've missed, uh, if you missed the messages and you didn't get a chance to hear those, uh, go to our website, listen to those. In fact, we talked about, in fact, we took two weeks about how love is supposed to be the most important thing in our life, as you saw there on the screen, uh, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is equally important is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so I really, really want to encourage you to go ahead and see those. I'm convinced that our relationships can be better. In fact, I, I believe that our relationships can be much better if we become good at loving. I'm not talking about them loving us. I'm talking about us loving them. Where we make, as the pursuit of our life and, and, and 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says, let love be the aim of your life. And we believe that one of the ways that you can hit the bullseye, I mean, really be on target to make love be the aim of your life and your relationships to improve is to have a good model, to have a good example. We know this, that we learn better we learn faster, we learn deeper through an example, through uh, an illustration, through something that we can see, something that we can feel, something that we can experience. And ultimately, we know that our best example, our best model is who? It's, it's Jesus. Amen? Jesus is the, the greatest example of what love really looks like, and that's why uh, we gave you an assignment, and I really want to encourage you, read chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Read it at least once a week. In fact, I would encourage you to read it every day. Read the Gospels, uh, the story of Jesus. Just watch and, and, and read and how Jesus related with people. I mean, this guy even loved his enemies on the cross, uh, he, he looks at the crowd and the people that yell crucify him. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And so here's, here's going to be the verse that gives us the title of, of what we're going to be preaching on here today. John chapter 13, verse 34. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Say, in the same way. He says, love each other in the same way that I've loved you. In the same way that you've received love from me. He said, I want you to go ahead and pass that love on to your spouse that you've been married to for a long time. 
uh, to the kids that you're raising, to the parents that you live with, or the parents maybe, uh, now that you're out of the house, to your brothers and sisters, love your brother and love your sister in the same way that you love Jesus. Love your neighbor uh, in the same way that you love Jesus and the way that he has loved you. Love your coworker. Love, your, love the people that you go to school with. In fact, even love your enemies. That's the word of Jesus. And I believe that you and I can't love people like Jesus unless we know his love. Unless we know it not only just in, in our head, okay, not only just to have an intellectual knowledge of how much God loves us, but where we've experienced his love, where we've walked in his love, we, we've been changed by his love. I mean, it's really tough to give mercy to someone uh, if you haven't experienced mercy uh, in your own life from God. It's really hard to give grace to people uh, if you haven't experienced grace yourself. That's why my prayer for you uh, and my prayer for myself, even on a daily basis, is the prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesus church there in Ephesians chapter 3 when he's telling them, and he says, may you have the power to understand as all as God's people should how wide and long and high and deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. I believe that when you experience his love, you become much better at relationships. You could become much better and loving towards people. And that's why I'm praying this prayer on a daily basis, not only for myself, I pray for you. I, I know I, I so bad want it for you. And I know God wants you to experience his love as well. So today we're going to look at uh, three ways that we are to love like Jesus. Uh, Love in the same way that I have loved you. Here, there's three must, okay? And I want you to write these down. Take good notes. Dial in because I'm so convinced the enemy wants to try to distract some of you, uh, wants to try to get you thinking about something else, whatever. I mean, you get a thought, just say, no, I'm coming back to this because this is life. This is about relationships. It's about loving God and it's about loving people. Here it is. Number one, I must accept people, okay, the way that Christ accepts me. I must accept others like Jesus accepts me. That's, that's the first word. As disciples, as followers of Christ, we ought to be the most accepting people in the world. I mean, really accepting it. it and I'm going to define about what that really looks like, okay? And I'm going to talk about why we should be the most accepting people in the world. I'm going to get to that in a few moments. Here's a fact. We've all been wounded in this place, every single one of us in this room. Some of us have been wounded really deeply through, through what I could write this word down. It's called rejection. And rejection comes in many different forms. It comes down from insults put downs. Uh, it comes from, uh, from someone that, that is supposed to be close to you and they walk away, okay? Being belittled, betrayals, uh, just made to feel absolutely worthless. And I know this, that, and I know some of your stories, and, and it's tragic. Some of the deepest hurts that come, it's not necessarily from our friends, and, and they've hurt us, but it comes from our family, from, from the ones that we came from. And that's where we can be hurt the worst. And, then we, and so rejection 
in any form is painful. And we'll do things uh, to avoid it. I, I think of a, a, a young boy going to elementary school uh, and, and, and he was around his friends, and, and one of his friends told him, oh, you, you smell. And, uh, and that had a big impact on him. I mean, so he made sure that he was, he, when he went to school and when he was in public places, he was showered up. He was putting on deodorant before he went through puberty and was even putting on cologne. Why? Because, you know, rejection's not fun. You want to be accepted, in fact, we all want to be accepted in here. In fact, it affects sometimes so many decisions and what we do in life and how we view life because, I mean, in fact, how we buy our cars, what kind of clothes we wear, what house that we, we buy. I don't want the pain of rejection. I just want to be accepted. Here's a myth. I have to have it together for everyone to accept me. I have to have the right clothes, right car, the right body, the right hair, okay, the right education, the right personality. When I, when I get those things, then people will like me, then, then people will accept me, okay? Let me just give you, if that's you and you think that way, you think wrong. Because no matter how much you have it together, there will be people who do not like you. I don't care how nice or even how loving you may be. I don't care how good you may look or whatever. There will be still people here on this earth that will not like you. And I know what I'm talking about. Here as a pastor, to, as a shepherd, and, uh, I mean, this is, this is our job. This is our life. And we want to we please God. We want to help people. We want to minister to people. And, and through the years, I mean, and, I mean, and, and, and try to help it and, and minister whatever and people biting the hand that feeds you. And we, and pastors feel that all the time. And, and it was a hard lesson, you know. Hey, man, you know, if I'm looking good, I'm looking sharp, I'm looking cool, and, and I'm loving on people, everybody's going to like me. And that's not necessarily true. What I've come to find out is through one of my favorite sayings is that hurt people hurt people. And a lot of pastors have been hurt by the, by the sheep they're in. And why? Because they got, they got issues in their life. They got, they're carrying, they got a lot of luggage. You know, God wants to get rid of that so that they can love as well. So understand, I mean, hurt people hurt people, but not everyone is going to like you. And one of the most important things, the starting point to learning how to love other people is you have to realize how much God accepts you. Do you know how much God accepts you? This is going to be really powerful for some people here in this room. You've never heard some of these truths, one I'm about to tell you here this morning. Here's a verse that was a life changer for me in my sophomore year in Bible college. I was going through the book of Romans. Uh, in fact, my prof I had a class on the book of Romans. Ben Aker was leading, and he says, here's your assignment. One of your assignments, I want you to be reading Romans every single day. And so I come to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And when I read it, I mean, it absolutely just messed me up. I was crying for about a half an hour. And here's the verse. It says, the proof of God's amazing love is this, that it was while we were sinners that Christ died for us. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. No, no, you don't know this. No, it was, it was while I was a sinner. If you would have known me, known what I was like, okay, you probably, I mean, really knew me, okay, uh, you probably, there would have been a lot of things that you would not have liked about me. In fact, I didn't even like myself a lot of times. Deeply insecure. But then God says, listen, Mike, I loved you when you were at your worst. 
God accepted me. Accepted me. Listen to this verse, John chapter 6. When you become one of his sons or daughters, those the Father have given me, John chapter 6, verse 37, those who the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. Jesus said, never. You're in his family. No matter how much you've messed up, no matter how bad you've messed up, Jesus says, I'm not going to reject you. The NCV translation puts this this way. The Father gives me the people who are mine. Every one of them will come to me, and I will always accept them. Listen to this. This is not a conditional acceptance. This is, he says, you are now my son. You are my daughter. You are in my family. I love you irregardless of what you have done. No strings attached. No strings attached. I remember, I mean, because this is where, this is where, when we, uh, my dad bought us uh, our first uh, household dog. My dad always had hunting dogs growing up, and they were always outside. He used to beg my dad, can we please have a dog? Can we, every single day, dad, please buy us a dog. And finally, he gave in, brought one home for Christmas. It was a dachshund. Her name was Peaches. And uh, I mean, I just absolutely love Peaches. I love dogs. In fact, I, I loved animals, and I wanted to be a veterinarian when I grew up. And, and I remember our, our, her first litter of puppies, and I think it was about six or seven puppies. But then she had this one, and I didn't know what was going on. I'm about seven years old, and she takes it with her nose, and she starts pushing this, this little, I mean, after it was born, just kept on pushing. The others were welcome, you know, come and nurse and be close, you know, to, 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 to me. But the other one, there was this one, get away from me. And I, and I began to scold her. I said, Peaches, no, bad dog. You know, I go, what the heck, what's going on? I, I never heard of anything like that, never saw it. In fact, her second litter, she did the same thing with another one. I mean, pushed away. And that's some of you are here. You felt that sting, being pushed away by someone that you really needed love and to be accepted by. Tremendous hurt that's behind it. When witnessing, when I've witnessed to people, uh, a lot of times I'll ask this time, I, when I'm usually coming to the end, I'll ask them, I says, have you ever accepted Christ in your life? And uh, many of them and most of them have never done that. That's why I'm witnessing to them. But I want to just say to those of you who have accepted Christ, do you realize that he accepted you before you accepted him? Do you know that? He accepted you before you accepted him. And some of you are here today, and and, in your walk with God, you feel like, man, I feel like that runt. I feel like I'm just kind of pushed away. I feel like I just never measure up to God, just feel like I never do good enough. I never do enough where I feel God is pleased with me and really loves me. And, And one of the reasons why, it could be one of three reasons. It could be someone that was significant in your life. Uh, maybe it was a parent, and you just never measured up. I mean, you got all A's in that one B, and that one B, man, they just noticed the B. They could never be satisfied. Some of you came from some church backgrounds, major legalism. I mean, you had to do all of these rules, and you never heard about a God who really loved, and you just think of all these things. And listen, I believe in boundaries. There are some boundaries, and, and I believe there's some rules that God has, in, but that's, the Bible's not about rules, The Bible is about relationships. And then some of you, I mean, you hear the voice that's inside, and it's not your voice. It's the accuser, the enemy, 
that just says, man, you're never going to make it. You just keep on messing up every single day, every single hour. You're a loser spiritually. And I want to just tell you, nothing could, if you're God's son and daughter, nothing could be farther from the truth. I don't care how bad you've messed up. Some of you have grown up here and come from a background, unpleasable parents. And you're just saying to yourself, I'm going to prove them wrong someday. I'm going to show them I'm worth something. I'm going to show them I'm going to do something. I'm going to make something of my life. And you live with that voice on the inside. And you say, I'm valuable. I got some bad news. There are some people here in this room just feel like, man, i just so frustrated based upon what happened to you as a kid. Good news and bad news. Here's, here's the bad news. If you had a, a parent that never validated you, your identity, uh, your love, that you're, you're a blessing to have in my home or whatever, I want to tell you the bad news that that may never happen in your lifetime. It may never happen. I hope it does. I pray it does. I pray that bridge and what you missed out as a kid or whatever, I pray that, the, but it, there, there, there's, there's a good chance it might not happen. But here's the good news. You are accepted and you are loved. There's, there's a couple billion people here on this planet. And I want to tell you something. God loves you. Your pastor loves you. And there are people here in this room, if you will let them in, they will love you as well. And here's the point. As God accepts us, he wants us to do for one another in our family towards our other brothers and sisters here in the family. A lot of people, you, here it is. But look at what Psalm 2710 says. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. There are orphan spirits in here, just orphans. And I mean, yeah, you had a biological parent, mom, and, and, but you just felt like they walked away from you. God says, not me. That's not me. I'm with you. Titus 3.7 says this, Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. And that is so true. He made us acceptable to God and gave us the hope of eternal life. I want you to underline that word acceptable. It's a, that Jesus made us acceptable before a perfect God. How did that happen? Two words, write these words down. It's called grace and sacrifice. Okay, Jesus sacrificed himself on a cross. His blood that was spilled on the cross, okay, not only just covered your sins, but it cleanses you of your sins. It takes away your sins. It purifies us. And then he just, he just, he just accepts us as we are, warts and all, sin and all, issues and all, all the baggage. He says, you're mine now. You come to me. You've, you've admitted you need me. you admitted that you need forgiveness. you admitted that you need a Savior. You're mine. Come on in. He says, we're accepted that way through grace and through sacrifice. You're not accepted once you change. This is so important. You're not accepted once you change. You're not accepted when, when you start doing a little bit better than you did last year. No, we will sin for the rest of our lives, unfortunately. But Jesus makes us acceptable through his grace and through sacrifice. It's not through your performance. It's through his grace and his sacrifice. Anybody want to say amen to that? So Jesus does that, and he wants us to do that with one another.
He wants us to give, he wants us to accept one another. He really does. But the question is, what's the difference between acceptance and approval? That's where we get, that's where we kind of get mixed up. That's where we kind of get messed up, you know, because there's a huge difference between acceptance and approval, okay? Jesus accepts us, okay? I mean, we've asked for forgiveness, we're, we're totally, but that doesn't mean he approves of everything that we do. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit, so that we can be overcomers. He loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. So thus he gives the Holy Spirit, he gives the word, he gives us the example of Jesus so that we can change. But, but through the whole process, even while we mess up, even while we fall down, okay, and I don't know about you, but when someone messes up with me and someone gets me mad and does something to me, I mean, I'm like this, I'm, I'm crossing my arms, I'm waiting to them, all right, dad, or all right, wife, or whoever it is, you know, they come to me, I'm sorry, you know, and, and, and then I got to go ahead and suck it up and try to forgive them. That's not the way God operates, no, no, in the midst of you messing up, God's still pursuing you and still going after you. Tough. No, he says, love like Jesus did. Oh, Lord, help us to do that. He still pursues us. I'll give you a great example. You know the story. It's in John chapter 8, a woman caught in the act of adultery. And uh, they said, Jesus, what are, you, what are we going to do with this lady? I mean, the word says uh, that we're, we can go ahead and stone her. And Jesus comes up with a great line. He says, the, the one without, without sin, go ahead, throw it. And it said the first ones that began to drop the rocks was the older ones. They'd been around for a while. They, they saw how much they sinned in their life, and that was the younger ones. They thought they really had it together, and they eventually dropped their rock. And listen to what Jesus says. And he says, hey, where are all your accusers? Where's the ones that are, that are wanting to kill you? And, and, look at, and she said, no one, sir. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Okay, now I want you to see that right there. That's unconditional acceptance. I don't condemn you. But here's the other flip side of the coin. Go now and li- leave. Walk out. Walk out that door of sin. Leave your life of sin. You don't need that anymore. So he loved us. He loved us enough not only to accept us, but he loved us enough to give us the power to walk away from sin. Amen? So he says, do that. We're to do that same for others. He says, man, you, just, you, you accept people. When God accepted me, that moment, Romans 5, 8, when I first got born again, saved at 19 years old, my confidence, man, went up from here. My, my, my sophomore year in Bible college, Romans 5, 8, it was a moment in my life. I mean, God accepted me. And then I met this wonderful girl at about the age 24. And I asked her, I says, would you, would you, would you marry me when I proposed? And then she said, yes. My confidence level went way up here. And here's the point. We just do that for each other. In our families, we do this in the family of God. And here's the word that says it, Romans 15, 7. Accept one another. Then just as Christ has accepted you. So how do you do that? How do you show acceptance? Let the Holy Spirit show you. Let the Holy Spirit. Now, here, th- this, this, this word is going to be very practical here today, and you've got three assignments. Here's assignment number one. It's there. It's an action step. Who in your life do you need to show acceptance to? Now, this, here it is. 
let me just define, this is the person that gets on your nerves. This is the person that irritates you. This is the person that is obnoxious. This is the person, you know, that you would just assume avoid. Okay, I want you to go ahead. I don't want you to write that person's name down because you're going to be praying about that, and God wants you to reach out to that person and show them his love. Okay? All right. Some of you say, Pastor, I want to get out right now. Okay. So how do I love like Jesus? Number two, I must value others like Jesus values me. How valuable are you? What are you worth? I'm not talking about your net worth, how much you got in your bank account, what's the car that you're driving, the clothes in your closet, you know, the home that you live in. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about your self-worth. How valuable do you think you are? Well, this is how valuable God thinks you are. God said, you know what? My sons and daughters who are away from me right now, I'm going to send my son on a dangerous rescue mission. I'm going to go get him. And I'm sending them into this world that's full of sin. It's cursed. And I'm going to go ahead and rescue them from themselves and also rescue them from the enemy of their souls. And he sends his son Jesus. Luke 12, verse 6, what is the price of five sparrows, two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them, and the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. I hear some of you saying, Pastor Mike, it's easy for God to count for you. Okay, don't do that. Okay, anyway, so, so here's what I want to do. You say, well, I'm looking at that. I hope I would be a little bit more valuable to God than a sparrow. That's not the point. The point of this right here is God so loves you that he knows the intricate details of your life, what's important about you and what's important to you. And he wants to prove to you how valuable you are. Here's two ways that you can know value. Value, first of all, depends on who made it. Value depends on who made it. What's, more valuable, what's a more valuable painting? A painting by Rembrandt or a, a drawing by a Rarick, okay? Here uh, on the screen is, is Rembrandt, one of the most famous painters of all time, and it's, it, it's a picture of the prodigal son coming to the father right there. I, if, if you see this online or whatever, it's much clearer right here. We, we lose it right, right here, but... Uh, here you see the son kneeling before the father, but there in the background, you see the older son, the one that was jealous and felt betrayed by the father. And, uh, and, and by the way, this, this thing is worth the millions. So you, you have this, I mean, and, and he, this guy was a phenomenal, but then you have a, a, a picture drawing by a Rarick, okay? Tell me which one's worth a little bit more. <laughs> Okay, that was my rendition of the, of, the, of the prodigal son coming home to the father, okay? That was my very best, okay? The artistic gene, God says, you're not getting it, okay? <laughs> we know this, a well-known creator can increase the value of a common thing. So here's my question, who created you? You know who that is. God created you. Is there anyone better than him. 
Okay, so what does that mean? I mean, that means you and I are valuable. We're not a piece of junk. God doesn't create junk. In fact, it says in 1 Timothy 4, 4, for everything that God created is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Ephesians 2, 10, for we are God's handiwork. Some translations put it, for we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God says we are valuable. And he's the one that made us. But here's another thing that shows value. Value depends on what people will pay. How much is your house worth? Does anybody know? Uh, it may not as be as much as you hope it's worth. Uh, it's kind of like my neighbor. Uh, he's had his house for sale for years. For sa- in fact, it's been a for sale by owner. It's visible for sale by owner. I mean, and this guy has a fixed price. This is what I want. For- if I don't get it, I'm not going to sell it. But something is worth whatever anybody will pay for it. Well, what did God pay for you and me? Peter says this. God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And here's what the, answer, what, what the ransom looked like. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless spot of the Lamb of God. So how much are you worth? God says, This is how much you are worth. Every time that you look at the cross, I am telling you, my son and my daughter, I love you this much. This is one of the reasons why we have the cross front and centers to remind us of God's love for us, and hopefully we can love him back. God says, I've paid the ultimate price for you. And the point is, anyone that is here, been hearing the voice. And it, you were told a long time ago, and just society, whatever it is, you feel worthless. I want to tell you something. It is a total lie from the pit of hell because the enemy wants to stop people from the destiny that God has in their life, and you feel like you're worthless and you'll never measure up. You'll live a life like that. But when you understand how much God loves you, you're going to begin to live differently. Here's how much Jesus loves you. Isaiah 49, 15. Can, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. In eternity, he says, this is how much I love you. See this? Look at the proof on my palms. A man might forget about you, but every time I see the marks on my hands, I think about you. So you're not just acceptable to God, but you're valuable to him as well. And Jesus says this, I want you to value people just like I value you, even the ones that annoy you and even the ones that hate you. How do you do that? First Peter says this, two words, honor everyone. If we would learn the principle of honor, it, it, the impact that we can make in people's lives would be amazing. That means everyone. That means if you don't, uh, uh, if you don't like the president that we, that we have right now, you don't like what he does, you don't like what he believes in, what he's implemented, God says you are to value him, you are to honor him, irregardless of what he believes, what he's trying to do, or whatever. He says, how do I do that? Well, here's, I'm, I'm to pray for him. 
I pray that we would know God. I pray that God's wisdom would rest upon him. God's called me not to hate him. Do I agree? Do I agree with all these? Mostly not. But do I have permission to hate that man? Absolutely not. Or anyone else in this room. And it goes for everyone. Honor everyone. The principle of honoring. And how do we do it? What does that look like? Ask the Holy Spirit. Because we're to go ahead and value everyone as God values. I want to read to you a testimony. Um, it, I, it, it came to me in the mail. It's from one of our missionaries uh, that are in Mongolia from the Traverdicks, Sherry and Troy Traverdick. Uh, Troy used to live with us uh, before he got married to Sherry. He was a, Troy was so messed up. Uh, what, in fact, you're going to hear a story what he did. We had to kick him out of our house. Uh, he lived with us for about eight months. Just made, I mean, you talk about rejection and pain and what he went through. It was devastating, but through God's grace, man, he just got major saved, major healed, filled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, marries this girl, Sherry, who was just, she was the trailblazer in our youth, the major influencer in our youth group, and she went to be a missionary, and uh, they're in Mongolia, and one of the coldest places on earth. I want you to hear this story. Can I read this to you? It's really a good one. Um, I wanted him to change, but he never would. His teeth were rotting out of his mouth. He refused to see a dentist. He chose not to talk except mumble. I had hope for him, and then one day it was gone. I decided to accept him as he was, dirty, smelly, awkward, hunched over, and without a desire even to look up. His name was Dodo, as if nothing on earth was meant to go right for him. We first met him in the orphanage in 2009. He was always the outsider. He tried not to smile, but sometimes couldn't help it when we would relentlessly press to bring one out of him. Because he was ashamed of his teeth, his hand would rise quickly over to his mouth when the smile came. He was hard to notice, not because he blended in, but because he didn't. When I saw him, I saw raw pain, and I wanted to look away. Two years ago, when it was time for him to leave the orphanage, he came to our emergency housing. In those early days, my hope was strong. Troy hired him on the building crew. He, he would have a job, earn money, and gain belief in himself. This was, sur- this was sure to encourage Dodo, I thought, but it didn't. He would sleep in, show up late for work, do a lousy job. He chose to be an absolutely awful employee. Troy had to let him go. We found out he couldn't hear properly, so we took him into an ear specialist. We learned his hearing problem could be solved with a simple surgery. We brought him in for the surgery. We hoped maybe this was the problem. With the ability to hear, perhaps he would gain confidence and start to talk more. The surgery was a huge success, but Dodo didn't change. We invited him to our home church. Of course, we hoped he he would find Christ, find love, and find a family. But Dodo fought to keep his eyes open and clearly only came for the morning breakfast we served. And day by day, it seemed he was more lost, more withdrawn into himself. Hope flew away from me. I decided that some people are just not going to budge ever. So what do you do with those people? This autumn, Troy hired Dodo back for a small job. He seemed to do okay. 
He came to work on time. He cared. Hope stirred inside, but I quieted down. Still, when I saw Dodo, I wanted to look away. Now, it was more than just a broken boy. It was a lost young man that we could not reach no matter what we tried. Facing this truth was a heartbreaking defeat. And then one morning, as I was walking into the community center, he spoke to me. Loud and clear, he spoke with joy. Good morning, Sherry, he said. A rotten tooth smiled, splashed across his face. His hand remained at his side. It did not come up to cover his mouth. My heart might have stopped for a moment. Did I really just hear that, I wondered? I grabbed him and hugged him close. Good morning, Dodo. And this time I, I, I let hope flutter around inside my heart. The following Saturday, he came to our morning worship. When he walked through the, the front door, I could feel the confidence coming from him. He was dressed in his nice his clothes. His hair was no longer hanging over his eyes, but gelled up in the latest style. His posture was strong and straight. Didn't even look like the same person to me. When I hugged him, he smelled clean, squeaky clean. While Troy taught, I noticed that Dodo sat straight up, eyes glued onto Troy. He was paying attention to every word. I kept trying to figure out what happened. How had this wall finally come down? But I soon realized that what was years of one small ding in the wall after another. Our entire staff had been chiseling away at that wall over the past two years, and then one day it was gone. None of us knew we were making any difference. From all outward appearances, we were wasting our time. Tonight, Dodo came into the community center during our student party. I watched him laugh with the other students, smile big and bright. I wonder who else I had given up on and decided to choose to hope for them again, to choose to grab onto that hope when it starts to take flight and command it to leave me. There are some walls that are just about to fall, and you and I don't even know it. Come on. Amen. Is that a good story? Amen. Let's give the glory to God here this morning. Amen. And by the way, that's what your dollars go to when you give to missions, when you pray for missions, stories like that happen. Amen. So here it is this week. Someone who has low self-worth, they do things to get attention. Or you just know, I mean, they're just, they're down. They, they feel down on themselves. I will affirm the value. I want you to write their name down. God wants you to speak to them. You have a word for them. There's something that God wants to, God, how can I show value? How can I show them that they are valuable to you? Listen to the sermon. Maybe you'll even just send them this might help them. Now, number three. Third way to love Jesus is to believe in others like Jesus believes in me. Did you, do you know this, that in spite of your faults, your hang-ups, uh, not having everything together, God still believes in you, God still has a work for you, and he's going to do mighty things through you? Did you know that? Some of you don't know that. So every one of us in here in some area, I mean, we don't have 100, I mean, feel totally great about ourselves in every single area. I mean, I mean, there's areas we, I would really like to change in that area. We really feel insecure about. 
Some of you still feel the sting and the pain of rejection and uh, just can't get that voice out of your head. How do you reverse the curse of rejection and that voice that you're never going to amount to anything or you're just really, you're, you're, you're a loser. Here it is, right? I, you have to make a choice to believe what God says about you. You've got to make this choice to, to listen and to believe and read and dwell and meditate on what God believes about you and I. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. If you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. Oh, man, that preaches for marriages. You're going through a tough time right now. You hang in there. Be loyal no matter what the cost. You will always, here it is, you will always believe in him, always expect the best of him, and always stand your ground in defending him. This is exactly what Jesus has done for us and exactly what we should do for one another. Jesus affirmed people around him. Jesus looked at people. He didn't just see them as they were. He saw them what they could be. Jesus saw the potential in people. He didn't just see sinners. He saw them as saints and a work that he was going to do through them by his spirit. He brought out the best in them, not by labeling them, but by believing in them. We had a ministry here. It was called Steps to Freedom. It was basically a 12-step program. And some of you, I think, have been through some 12-step programs. If you were in AA, uh, one, of the, one of the things that you had to do, uh, uh, if you were going through it, you, you'd stand up and, hi, my name uh, is so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic. And, uh, and I remember uh, Steve Ferrante, one of the, uh, our pastor that was leading at the time, and uh, it, we, we didn't, talk, as wonderful as AA and as many people as it helped, but if you're born again and you're God's son and you're, you're, you're his daughter, okay, and, and to go ahead and, and, and he's forgiven you and, and, you, and you're not drinking to go ahead and to say, yeah, I'm an alcoholic, it's not true according to the scriptures. The Bible said, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I understand what the, but it, it, and so he says, man, when I, he said, every time I would stand up and, and say, hi, my name, and, and I'm an alcoholic, he says, I felt like a piece of, okay, and he's, but when, when we introduced him and, and he had accepted Christ, it was absolutely, I mean, it was revolutionary to his life. He says, man, I don't feel like a loser, man. I know I can do something with my life. First John chapter 1, verse 42, you are Simon, son of John, but you will, call, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Jesus saw so the one that we know, but his first name was Simon, which means God, which means he has heard. He says, but I'm changing your name. You're going to be something different. You're going to be the rock. You're going to be the strong one. And as I thought about that, and I was meditating on this, this one, and I, I'm thinking about when Jesus is in his last hours, and he said, man, he says, the shepherd's going to be, I mean, they're going to strike this, and all you guys are going to scatter. And, and Peter says, uh-uh, not me. I'm staying with you. And I, you know why? Because he was living with a new identity. I, I, something, he says, I'm going to stay strong for Jesus. I'm going to be a rock for Jesus. Okay. He, he missed it at that moment, but it was his heart. It was his desire to hang in there for Jesus. No question about it in my, in my mind. Think about it, folks. Jesus trusted the future of God's kingdom uh, 
to 12 guys, many uneducated, fishermen, uh, just normal people. And, I mean, we don't know if there were any of them that were educated or anything like that or were in the king's court, but they were just guys like you and me. And Jesus gave them to go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and make disciples. And, uh, and, and, and there he is. There, there he is. And, and the angel said, hey, what's, what's plan B if this doesn't work? And Jesus said, there is no plan B. He says, they're going to do it because I'm putting my spirit upon them and they're going to go forth and proclaim my kingdom. And did, and did God ever use them? And what God did for them, he does for you and I. Listen to this. This, is for, this, isn't just, this, isn't, this isn't just for pastors. This is for you. In John chapter uh, 14, verse 12, look at this. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works, healing, deliverance. Why? And even greater, why? Because I'm going to the Father. God says, every person that believes in me has Jesus inside their heart. He says, you're going to be able to go ahead and do that. What is he saying? He says, I believe in you guys. I believe in you guys because I'm putting my spirit upon you. You're going to go ahead and do the work of the kingdom. And folks, there is nothing like being used by God for someone to believe in you. God says, I believe in you because I put my spirit upon you. When I, was, when I got saved and born again at 19 years old and God was beginning to just starting to change me on the inside. But I remember I'm praying about, God, what's the direction of my life? Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm going to college. I was planning to be in law enforcement, and, and I'm seeking him. And all of a sudden, I, God's beginning to, you know, I feel this kind of desire, the ministry. Someone spoke to me. And, and then I remember someone came to me and he said, listen. And I had led a number of people to Christ by that point. And God was already using me, one-on-one -on -one evangelism. But he said, you know, listen. God's going to use you, young man, in a powerful way. You're going to be speaking before people, and God's going to use you. And I go, oh, my goodness. Are you kidding? And they say, absolutely. I heard that. I want to tell you something. I was absolutely terrified but excited. I began to pray. I said, God, if you want to use me in that way, amen. So God, I mean, and it's come true, God's use. And what God says about me, he says the same thing to you. He says, I'm going to use you in a powerful way. And God wants us to do the same thing for others. Here it is, Romans 1.12. I want us to help each other with the faith we have. Your faith will help me, and my faith will help you. Did you know that, that church is not just about coming to hear a pastor and a preacher preach? This is part of what church looks like. Your faith helping other brothers and sisters. Here's what happens in a given week, okay? Uh, and, and I so want to encourage you. And how do we even do this? In fact, how does this, how does that even, what's the model? How does that even happen? Does that happen on Sunday mornings? It can. But this is more of like, a, this is a major gathering. But this happens, this is, it happened in the early church. They met in homes, they gathered together. They prayed together. We call them here in our church, we call them life groups. And when, 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 when people get together for fellowship and, 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 and they get together maybe to pray about certain things, here's what, we'll have a week. We'll have one of these weeks where we get the faith kicked out of us. I'm telling you, we get beat up. I mean, life is just coming at us. And it was tired, man. And, 
and, and, and all of a sudden we find our ourselves in a place of discouragement. We're down and we're depressed and, and, and we come in there and, and, a, and a brother or a sister sees you. I mean, you're kind of down. Hey, what's going on? You know, they're the group. And, Man, I've just been going through an unbelievable week. And, uh, and you're just not feeling it. And, they, and, they, and they're here and you're listening and, and the Holy Spirit kind of gets it, come, comes there and says, listen, you're going to make it. Uh, God's going to help you out, and, and prayer happens, and, and wisdom happens, counsel happens, encouragement happens, wonderful things happen, and all of a sudden, the faith that wasn't there begins to rise up, and we see God begin to do a healing and freedom and deliverance, and then it's next week. We're doing good, and, and we come, and then our faith is going good, and someone else got the faith kicked out of them, and then we can do the same for them, and this is what we are to do. So here it is, Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. Who are you doing that for right now in the body of Christ? How can we do that? Well, we could do that a little bit on Sunday morning. I pray that you look for opportunities. Man, how can I encourage and spur my brother and sister on towards love and good deeds? Well, I know we can definitely do that during life groups. I so want you to be in a life group. God wants you to be in a life group because it's so tied to you becoming the person that God's called you to be. It's how you can be a person that lives a legacy of love. And it starts here with your brothers and sisters. So action step. Here it is. I will demonstrate trust, okay, towards this person. This is someone who has potential for growth. This is where you want to tell them, I believe in you. You've got so much promise in your life, but you're not even coming close to where, where, where you can be. And you're going to be able to do that in a way that doesn't put them down, but that builds them up. It's going to be something that's going to be encouraging. Psychologists tell us this, that your self-image and my self-image, how we see ourselves, is largely determined by what you think the most important person in your life thinks about you. Basically, we see ourselves, when we look at ourselves in the mirror, and how we feel about ourselves is largely determined by how that most important person feels about us. So if there's someone, we had a parent that was that what I call the parent who was the cheerleader, Man, it says, come on, you're going to do it. You're going to do great, son. You're going to do great, daughter. God's going to use you. You're, you're going you're to change the world. And this was the parent that says, I believe in you. I love you, man. You're valuable. I, I mean, I, I'm so glad to have you as my son. So glad to have you as my daughter. I mean, I call those the cheerleaders. And we thank God for those. But here it is. The cheerleaders, even though our parents were, they, they weren't perfect. They didn't love us perfectly. And then we got some people that were the other. They were, they were the negative pe people that were in our lives. And they had tremendous influence in our lives and affected how we see her. They were the Eeyores. They just saw nothing but negative uh, things about you, said negative things about you. I mean, and you're just longing to be accepted by them. It has huge implications. As your pastor and someone who loves you imperfectly, but nevertheless loves you, I'm telling you, you should make Jesus Christ the most important person in your life. He's the only one that can perfectly loves you, accepts you, values you. He says, you've got what it takes with my spirit in you. He makes you capable. 
You need to stop listening to the negative voices, the negative people, and what society is saying about you. What matters most is what God says. And here it is. Who are you going to believe? What you choose to believe and who for you to really choose to believe in you is going to determine the outcome of your life. Pastor Fred Craddock, he's an author and a speaker, was on a vacation with his wife down in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. He was in a restaurant having a meal, and uh, uh, the restaurant was full, and, and an elderly gentleman came towards him. He said, are you on vacation? And, and they said, yeah, we're on vacation. He says, well, what do you do? He says, I, I'm a preacher. And the old man, he says, let me tell you a preacher story. Can I tell you? He said, yeah, sure. So he sat down, and he said, well, when I was a, a little boy, uh, uh, I, I didn't know who my dad was. I was an illegitimate child. And it was a small town, and, uh, and there was a lot of uh, people in the town that, that made fun of me. I, I felt rejection. And it, he said, it was really tough growing up. He says, I was alone. I didn't have friends. And, uh, and I, I, I said, I, I felt worthless. I, I, I felt like when I was walking through town, he says, I felt everybody was looking at me wondering, who is his dad? And just living with that, that stigma that, you know, feeling like a bastard child. And, 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 uh, and then he heard there was, there was a, a new pastor that came into town. And this pastor was wonderful. Great preacher, great man, full of love. And, and he decided, he said, I'm going to go check this guy out. And so he's young. And uh, he goes to church. And when he goes to church, he shows up late. He didn't want to mingle with the people. Didn't want to be talking with people. And he would leave early. But he loved to hear the pastor and loved to hear the sermons, loved to hear the word. It was really encouraging. And finally, one day, he, slid, he was so mesmerized and so caught up in it. And, and the pastor said the amen, and people stood up. And, uh, and, and then the doors were all kind of jammed up. He couldn't get out. And, and, and all of a sudden, behind him, he feels this hand on his shoulder, this big, strong hand on his shoulder. And he looked around, and there it was the pastor. And the pastor says, who are you? And he says, who's your father? And he says, when I heard that, he says, I, he, he says, I began to sh shake. He says, I was terrified. He says, before, he said, oh, you have a distinct family appearance. I know who your dad is. I know who your father is. He says, you're God's son, aren't you? He says, those words changed my life. Guy went to go sit down. The waitress came to him. And she said, do you know who was talking to you? And he says, no, I don't. She says, that was Ben Hooper, the two-time governor of Tennessee. Acceptance. Believing in someone. Valuing someone has so much power. What God's done for you, he wants us to do for one another. Amen? Let's pray. Close your eyes for a second.